0: story from Chicken Soup for the Soul, number 35, Divine Delivery. In World War II, my father Henry, a southern small-town boy, away from home for the first time, was stationed on the obscure island of the South Pacific. Mail call was a highlight of each week, something he and his fellow mariners eagerly anticipated. The letters they received were their only links to loved ones at home, and they read them over and over, sharing key passages with their buddies. Even the mundane details of life back home were appreciated, for hearing about small everyday matters made them feel connected and in touch with their families and friends a world away. Henry's mother wrote regularly about anything and everything that the black and white barn cat had given birth to six kittens that she had sewn new plaid curtains for the living room that dad had trimmed the pear trees and that she had somehow lost her wedding ring she was praying it would turn up somewhere even more regular anticipated than letters were the care packages boxes of home baked goodies the mothers and sweethearts Of servicemen sent. Many such packages were lost at sea when the ships bearing them were attacked. Those that made it through were celebrated. Whenever boxes arrived, the recipient always shared the contents with his tent mates and buddies. Henry's favorite treat was homemade divinity, a southern specialty of decadently rich white candy chalk full of pecan pieces. One day when Henry was feeling especially discouraged and homesick, he received a care package, battered on the outside but with the contents intact. He ripped through the tattered paper wrapping and with his mouth watering opened the tin he knew would be full of divinity. There were several layers separated by wax paper. Just enough divinity, he thought, to serve all the fellows, with a piece or two left over for him. The box was passed among the men, and the divinity quickly disappeared. Piece by piece, at last, the box came back to Henry. He picked up the last remaining creamy white square and bit into it with a sight of pure pleasure. But. Pure pleasure was quickly punctuated by pure pain when his teeth chomped down on something hard and unyielding. He removed the offending object from his mouth and saw his mother's wedding ring. God had gone to great lengths to meet Henry's need for comfort and encouragement that day. Henry survived the war and personally returned his mother's treasure ring. Wow. Lynn Worley-Kunst. Wow. Talk about divinity. There was a scripture on on the wall that I have. It says, a friend loves at all times. And it speaks about Jesus. And it struck my heart strong that uh, we have this benefit of our friend Jesus. And, and in prayer, we develop and believe and receive him. Amen. And a lot of us may be hurting for something, may be hurting from a side ache that won't go away or a pain in the old nail on the foot that's still lingering or, or a runaway child or something in the heart. Let's go ahead and pray. And one more time, let's go into the heavens and ask our Heavenly Father that He will yield Lord, for the purpose of the stripes of Jesus Christ, we are healed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for establishing the law, the law of spirit of life of Christ Jesus over the life of sin and death, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the law at the cross, that Jesus died at the cross, Lord God. And by his stripes, we are healed, Lord. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, people are whole, Lord. Broken hearts are healed, Lord. Established friendships are established. Fruition is taking place, Lord. Heal those bodies, Lord. By the stripes of Jesus Christ, heal them, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for healing us. Amen. Amen. What a story. Okay, I opened up another story. This is number 92, Chicken Soup for the Soul. This one is, uh, I was born with a wandering spirit. After college, I joined the theater company and traveled all over North America and Europe. I was far away and broke most of the time, but no matter where I wandered, I made it home to Colorado for Christmas. This was a fairly significant feat, and yet I had managed to do it every year without fail. It sometimes involved days and nights of driving through blizzards, gallons of espresso, 12-hour plane rides, lost baggage, and custom officials who always seem to pick me for scrutiny. Our holiday traditions were pretty average. Three presents, way too much food, Christmas Eve service at church, trees all over, watching the movie White Christmas with my sister, Nothing extraordinary happened, but living so far away made it essential to be there. I needed to stay current in my siblings' lives. I wanted to know my nieces and nephews and have them know me. If I wasn't there for Christmas, I feared I would just fade out of the family. My fiance, Calvin, and I traveled back to Colorado for our wedding, which was the opening ceremony of a huge 4th of July family reunion. I wasn't a girl who imagined my wedding as the pitiable point of human history anyway, so a simple affair was just my style. But even small and simple broke the bank for us. We headed back to work in Europe, knowing there would be a slim chance of another trip home anytime soon. Christmas would likely be a cozy twosome. This is okay, I told myself. We're out. We we are our own family now. It will be romantic. Plus, our tour ended in Switzerland, so that's where we be stuck for Christmas. Definitely worst place to be. But as the tour drew to a close, my moral crumbled. Watching our our teammates excitedly depart, talking about nieces and nephews and. Trees, stockings, and family traditions left me feeling less than lucky about my own situation. Yes, I was a newlywed, and the world was supposed to be rosy. But in truth, spending our lives six months of marriage in a van with a team of kooky performers and sleeping on pull-out couches in people's dens had placed a strain on the meritable bonding process. Our harmony was a little off-key, to put it mildly. Three solid weeks of undiluted togetherness was looking about as awkward as the sixth grade dance. Even less appealing, a little padding of friends and family would have been so much less stressful. The lack of company wasn't the only check in my negative call them either. We had no home. Like I said, we travel in a van and were housed as part of our performance contracts. Being on break meant that we had to find a place to stay someplace free. And who wants a couple of bickering vagabond hanging around at Christmas? Even if someone did take pity and invite us into their stable, I was really stretching to dig up any gratitude for someone's pull-out couch. Then there was the shortage of trappings and trimmings. Our performance artist's lifestyle left us without discretionary funds. So, girls were pretty much out, and to top it all off, Calvin got sick with, excuse me, gifts were pretty much out. And to top it all off, Calvin got sick with an infected wisdom to. He was delirious with pain so much for romance. First things first, although Calvin and I were alternatively ticked off and bewildered by one another, I did still have regular moments of of fondness towards him. I didn't enjoy seeing him in pain, especially because it made him all whiny and meant I had to do all the driving we needed to get to the toot to get that tooth taken care of. So we pray. Lord, we haven't been very nice to each other lately, and we know that bothers you. We're going to try and improve, but in the meantime, Calvin's in a lot of pain, and it's Christmas and all, and we're hoping that maybe you could toss us a miracle or something, a little sprinkle of healing power, please. It was something like that, not a very spiritual-sounding prayer, just a disparate. We stopped on the way out of town at the home of our area representative, Gene, to drop off a calendar for our next tour. He took one look at Calvin and declared with white, nice, rut allures, this can mean many things, but in that case, it was an expression of alarm. He made a phone call, he spoke way too fast for me to follow his French, but it sounded very empathetic and convincing, and 20 minutes later the source of distress was being extracted from Calvin's job by Jean Francis' friend, who also happened to be a dental surgeon and who also decided he didn't want to be paid since it was two days before Christmas. God is so cool, and His people can be really cool sometimes too. On this day, He was also re- really speedy, which was such a nice bonus. While cabin was being repaired, I wandered the streets of Los Angeles, soaking up Christmas spirit from all the colors and highs and lights, and using my tiny store of Swiss ranch to buy a few chocolate coins, a nice writing pen, a recording of Calvin's favorite artists, and a few other tidbits. I could wrap each one separately in the little bowls, and we could have a miniature Christmas. It would be a peace offering, my promise of a fresh start. Our harmony had already improved that the pressure of touring off our shoulders a little privacy might be tolerable after all. But the thought came that the reminder that we were need a place to stay. We actually had an offer, but it, I had put off phoning them. Timothy and Fury were the elderly uncle and aunt of a the colleague. They lived in a remote mountain village, a couple of hours from Geneva, and we had met them earlier on that tour. Timothy was an egg farmer and purity ran the general store in the village. They mentioned that they had a little apartment on their basement and that they were well come to stay anytime, including the holidays. Why hadn't I called them? I had a a picture in my mind of a spider infested stairway leading down to a dank room with a bare flashlight hanging down. A chamber port in one corner and a hot plate with questioning, questionable writing on the other. I was thinking of World War II French Resistance. This would be the space between two walls where they had Jewish neighbors and secret radios. Of course, this was neutral Switzerland, so none of that actually happened here. But my imagination always tended towards the dramatic. There would be an old wooden door, with a broken latch. Chickens would be pecking outside the door, and snow would be blowing in through the cracks. We sleep on separate army cots under threadbare, blanket, threadbare blankets, and will be have scrambled eggs for Christmas dinner. Truthfully, I was kind of rebelling in the whole for sad and wretched picture and imagining the screenplay I was brought back to reality when Calvin arrived all swollen to die Joe make that phone call (laughs) darn we really had no alternatives but I was sure experience in itself wouldn't be a fun or glamour but I was sure the experience itself wouldn't be as fun or glamorous. As the eventual movie version, I prayed again, God, I miss my family so far. Marriage is, is not really what I expected. And I feel like Heidi gone to stay on some mountainside in a scary basement with some old people. I don't really know. I want to make the best of this. I know it's really not all about me. I know I should ask you to help me grow up and be selfless like you but I also want to pray that we have a really nice fun holiday together amen I made the call got directions and turned the van up the winding mountain road as we pulled into the little town we had to wait for a herd of cows making their way down the main street with Calvin mumbling the directions through wads of cotton we arrived at Pierre's General Store. I knocked hesitantly. The door flew open, and Timothy and Pierre greeted us like their own grandchildren back from a war or a refuge camp or from just having received a Nobel Prize. We were uh, ushered directly into the parlor where a fire was crackling and a tree was twinkling. There were cookies right out the, out of the oven and hot chocolate with lots of whipped cream. Our streaming cubs, they asked us all about our tour, all about our wedding, all about our families. They learn. we, we learned all about farming and, and life in a tiny Swiss village We laughed and smiled and ate cookies. God had answered our prayer. He knew what our marriage needed, and he prepared this place for us long in advance. This was the most calm, nurturing place in the world to spend Christmas, or any other day for that matter. Of course, I hadn't seen this little apartment of the basement yet, but Pieretti said we were welcome to join them upstairs as much as we like so maybe we wouldn't have to hang out with the spiders. The phone rang disrupting our relaxed conversations. We heard a zoot allures in the conversation. Timothy returned to us with a frown. Allures. The phone rang, disrupting a relaxed conversation. We heard it a lot in the conversation. Timothy returned to us with a frown. The village was in an uproar. The pastor was sick. He had a fever and had lost his voice. There will be no Christmas Eve program. This was a considerable crisis. Tantamount to the plague or a foreign army marching over the Alps. Timothy and Purity exchanged distressed stressed glances, and Purity immediately began clearing away the dishes. Whenever a solution is unclear, it's always helpful to tidy it up in Switzerland. Kelvin raised an eyebrow at me, and I answered with a grin and a nod. This was a no-brainer. We jumped up and offered to save the day. We've been doing nothing but Christmas programs for weeks. We had a vast repertoire to choose from. Relief spread over our host's faces. We began gathering props, running lines, and planning all the music we could do with only the two of us. With a quick change of clothes, we set off. We chose to play about two lonely people who met in an airport on Christmas Eve. As the characters hesitantly began To converse, they share their stories, their loneliness, and a reminder of God's gift to us in the birth of Jesus. My character, a believer, realizing that they were put there for that reason, put there to answer one another's needs, they read the Christmas story from the book of Matthew and share an impromptu celebration. Kelvin's character, with spiritual eyes opening for the first time, declares, You have to lead me. I never had a real Christmas before. We were in the zone. We were a perfect team that night, and I remember why I had chosen to spend the rest of my life with this man. Performing this play on Christmas Eve for these people was perfect. As I spoke my lines, the truth of them penetrated my own heart. We answered each other's needs. We were put here for that reason. The paradox of God's sovereignty struck me. Somehow, in the complexity of God's love and provision, He cares about my smallest details and desires. And yet, at the same time, it's all about Calvin. And it's all about the man in front of the roll with tears streaming down his cheeks. And it's about purity and her general store and the dental surgeon, and all of my teammates at home with their families. We are God's gift to each other, like a master composer. He brings all the instruments together, each with a different tone, each playing a different part, and he makes it turn out so beautiful. After the program, we're invited to the evening meal full of cheese and chocolate and all the yummy Swiss things, not a single scrambled egg later we grabbed our suitcases and at last made it down the staircase to the place that will be home for the next three weeks the staircase was steep and the basement was indeed dark and creepy we opened the apartment door and were greeted by twinkling lights a small decorated tree in the corner and evergreen bows all adorning a newly remodeled sparkling clean studio there was modern plumbing and a kitchenette with perfect right wiring. There was a tantalizing fruit basket on the table and a big soft bed covered with the whitest and fluffiest down comforter I ever seen. Kelvin spontaneously lifted me over the threshold. Merry Christmas, I sighed. He set me down, wrapping his arms around me. I wrapped back. We were God's gifts to each other. Christy Hemingway wrote that article. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful story. Pretty cool, huh? A gift to each other, and that's who we are. I am a gift to you, and you're a gift to me, and my love and blessings to you. Amen. Boy, that was a long story, huh? How about one more? Uno mas number 93 a higher purpose the scripture in matthew twenty-five thirty-five says i was a stranger and you invited me in after two days of presenting seminars in new england i was made i was i, I made a mad dash to the airport finding myself a little time to spare i sat in the main terminal for a few minutes of relaxation Although this tiny airport appeared to be fairly new, it was unusual empty for 4.30 p.m. on a weekday. From my vantage point, I counted four people. I sat idly for a few minutes, and then the woman who checked me in the counter approached by me by name and said, I told you earlier that your seat was confirmed, but the plight before this one had been canceled. I can't guarantee that you'll get on, but it looks good so far. As the only standby passenger for this flight, I waited patiently about a dozen confirmed passengers at the gate started to board the small plane. When I asked about my standby status, the woman hand-counting the tickets delivered the disappointing news, all 19 seats are full, sir. Being a doubting Thomas of the first degree, I waited at the gate until the plane was actually rolling down the runway before I gave up and returned to the main terminal. For some reason, I wasn't terribly upset about missing the plane. I frequently tell my seminar participants this happens for a reason. The universe is trying to tell us something, I thought. Okay, it's time to trust my own advice. Why am I here tonight? I sat down at, at one of the four wooden tables outside the airport's dining area and took an apple from my briefcase. Each bite made a conspicuous crunching sound. I felt uneasy as if I were being watched. Glancing around, I noticed two pieces of unattended luggage on the floor about a foot away, leaning against the next table. As I considered reporting this to security, I noticed a young man dressed in a dark blue suit, tie, and turban using the microwave nearby. He walked slowly over to his table, carefully creating a large cup and slumped into his chair. As he ate, he looked over at me several times and smiled politely. I smiled back. When I stood up to discard the remains of my apple, the young man got up too, following right on my heels with his trash. We exchanged the typical small talk of strangers thrown together by circumstances for a brief moment in time. My new acquaintance said, I'm in town for an interview. I plan to become a doctor and I applied to the residency program at the hospital here. It looks favorable. What kind of doctor, I asked. I don't know, he answered sheepishly. If you don't know what kind of doctor you want to be, how do you hope to become what you want, I inquired. Are you a philosopher or something, he asked, raising a dubious eyebrow. No, I'm a professional speaker and I give seminars. I answer, would you like a seminar on goal setting? Without hesitating, he replied, yes, actually, i like someone to speak to me. Trusting his hand toward mine, he introduced himself. As he mentioned, as he motioned for me to sit next to him, I moved my luggage to his table. He was continually, and we continued talking. In this unexpected arena, we discussed our goals and dreams. It wasn't a seminar, but within minutes, it turned into a deep sharing session. The young man told me how lonely he was since moving from India only weeks before. He said, I felt that I had to leave my homeland in order to find myself. It was clear he was troubled. He confided feelings that he said he rarely told anyone. He had broken off his engagement to a young woman in India. Shortly before their arranged wedding, He also revealed that as a young boy he had been sexually abused by one of the family's servants. The horrors of the event still haunted him. I marvel at this man's ability to share such confidence with a stranger. "The, The man is locked up now, he said sadly. After pausing for a few moments to stare at the floor, he continued, I wonder if blaming the servant was justified. It was obvious that this young man was struggling with many troublesome issues in his life. Then the young man's dark despondent eyes met mine as he added, I wish my problems would just disappear. It seemed to me that the banished servant wasn't the only imprisoned soul. As he shared his very thoughts, I could see how much he had to offer the world. He stared at me with intense eyes. I don't know why I am even telling my secrets to a total stranger. Hoping to reassure him, I said, God has placed us together tonight so we could help each other. Someday it will be your turn to listen and to help someone else. So soothe his troubled soul. The young man had a promising career ahead of him. I pointed out all the positive in an attempt to make him feel better about himself. It seemed my words were of some benefit. He smiled and thanked me for listening. When his flight was called, we both when his flight, was called we both stood up as we shook hands his finger hesitated to let go he seemed to be holding on in order to absorb some of my strength in those two short hours we had created a bond a bridge between the two diverse cultures and generations we exchanged a brotherly hug and he parted I man meandered over to the department aerial window to catch a glimpse of him I wanted to wave as he boarded his plane. As I watched his plane on the tarmac, I looked up in disbelief at the familiar, almost supernatural reflection of the dingy glass. My new friend was standing right behind me. Astonished, I turned around. With a somber face, he said, I have just one more thing to tell you. What is it? I asked eagerly. Thank you for being here tonight and for listening to me. He stopped suddenly to take a deep breath and then he said tearfully, I was planning to kill myself tonight, stopping to take my, my hand, he added, but now I feel like there's hope. We shook hands and then embraced for the last time. Words were significant. I felt the tear on my cheek as I waved to him and watched him board his flight. That night I felt a new connection to God, like I had just been given a signal. I felt renewed with a sense of a higher purpose. Tom Lagana. Wow, what a story, huh? What a story. My purpose to you, that I have a little, if you've ever been violated, you know, and most of us uh, either violated somebody or had something wrong done, uh, uh, to us uh, and then, or we just got guilty because we saw somebody naked. <laughs> like I was, uh, I saw all my cousin girls and, and, and sisters They were all bathing together and I crawled on the roof or something. And yep, even though my aunt was yelling at me, I I was determined to take a peek. I think I was six years old. But so now, in order to get the guilt out, I, I, you know, I realized that what we need to do is try this. Say, I thank you, God, I did that. I thank you, God, that happened to me. I thank you, God, I experienced that. Okay, And uh, the, the Lord, our friend, our God, he takes it in his hands. He takes it away from us. And this is the way that I found is the easiest way. I thank you, God, for what I did. I thank you, God, for what happened. I thank you. That causes humility to clean the soul, causes humility to clean the memory and ease it. We are not God. We're in a broken world. Wrong things are gonna happen. We can make things right. We can break out of prison and let go. And if it keeps bothering you, say, I thank you, God, for what happened. Yep, I'm glad that happened, you know. Just punch that situation in the nose because life, salvation, and helping others, and being connected and being cheerful to others, and being healthy is more important than anything else. We are alive and we survive the war of evil, okay? Let us rejoice and be glad and be thankful that we have a higher God, a higher purpose, and that is to encourage each other. After reading this story, the amazing thing is is that I'm up at 2 something, 3 in the morning, I'm folding clothes, I'm doing laundry, it's 3.45 in the morning, and I sit down to read this book. That is not me, folks. Sleep five hours and then, and then I, I didn't want to go to, to class today. I said, oh, I got to go take coffee to this, encourage this guy, pray, pray that he doesn't drink and his children and his, you know, the marital affairs because of the alcohol. Now they're back together again, and he's got a year sober and he's doing good. And my heart goes out that uh, he hangs in there. The other young man that was working him, he he's in jail. Um, I was at a store last night. I went to go buy a lottery ticket, take a walk, and this guy's government EBT card. He's all tattooed in his head with a backpack, and in front of me starts cussing and yelling at the young lady behind the counter because his EBT card didn't go through, and he wanted to see the receipt that said zero zero. He goes, "I want to see the receipt," and he and I. And I don't know, I said, leave her alone. I said, get away from her. And I told him, and I don't know where this came from, but he was, you know, I just had a lot of love, a lot of peace, a lot of joy, and I can see the fearful eyes and the other people who so said this guy hopefully don't have a gun or something crazy, tattooed guy all over his head and everything. My heart goes out to him. Brand new pair of Levi's. Probably his mother gave it to him. And uh, about 44 years old. And I yelled at him. I said, I'm a man and I respect women. And he kept cussing and And he didn't leave the store. And I was a little worried. I said, you know, you didn't have any money. And then I said, I'm gonna buy that thing for you. And I told him, how much is that? $1.99, oh man. I bought it for him. I said, okay, I got you. And you know what he said? He said, in the back he said I thank you very much sir I really appreciate that and wow you know and with that I said I'm gonna leave the store even if I didn't think he would cause more trouble but I didn't think there was more much I can do that I can trust him by leaving him alone and he can approach the lady again and maybe resolve some differences or whatever um that happened earlier another guy um, and during the week I was this guy that had gotten into action a little bit of mental and in a meeting and he's been uh, offensive in his talk you know very uh, and I've been, and God told me to be kind to him. <laughs> I had gotten into differences before you're not going to run the meeting you got to stay quiet in the meeting. Uh, we run 12-step meetings and no outbursts and and no uh, he comes over he comes back with uh, with um, a golf club back to the meeting and thank god we defused it took the golf club from him this is the kind of person and i said okay we're going to start the meeting the other day and and let's get it started and i had to tell another guy read the stuff and don't play around we're serious we're here having a 12-step alcoholic anonymous meeting and we're serious about reading the stuff I'm not here to hear you what you think about politics and stuff we're here about recovery and uh, and I said read the thing and I was angry you know and this other guy that I thought was gonna go off too said he said I'm working on my steps I'm working on trying to I got seven days, I'm trying to get, I need that kind of roughage. I need that kind of uh, instructions. They need to see us, that we believe in what we, we're preaching. So hopefully, I was, I was still praying, I prayed for those two, those three, those four, those five. <laughs> I love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to me. I needed to share that. I didn't sh- want to share with anybody else. We boast, boasting or, or complaining. In God's people. Thank you very much. Fernando Commando.